So, um, a couple things. Ouch. Oh, I made a, I don't know where to start today. Um, I made a comment to a couple of people. I love book studies. Love book studies. This topical business, um, little bit more difficult for me. So you can be in prayer about that. Um, we are studying today um, how prayer changes things. Okay? Um, and specifically, we're going to be talking an awful lot about praise this morning with regards to, to prayer. All right, we will be talking again about prayer um, once we hit Lent, kind of moving into Easter. We'll have a second week when we're going to look at this whole aspect of prayer changes things. But, but under this aspect of, of being a worshiping community, um, and being people who are called to worship. Okay, um, I think some of you have kind of heard me say we're, we're beginning to, to work on kind of a new um, vision statement. And we've been doing this for a couple of years now because um, our old vision statement was like 1990s type of vision statement okay, that we hijacked from Willow Creek. Um, but anyway, so we're working on this new one. And one of the aspects that Tim Peck really wanted to make sure that we had in our new worship mission statement was the fact that we are a worshiping community. Okay? And that's huge. Okay? Because first and foremost, probably more than anything else, we are called to be a worshiping community. All right? Um, In fact, why don't you go ahead and put that first slide up there. Um, One of the things, last Wednesday night I was meeting with... um, some folks, and we were talking about what eco, our denomination, calls our essential tenets. And, and this is basically just kind of a, a means of kind of taking all the kind of confessions of the church and theology and, and all the answers and kind of bringing it down into a couple of five pages that basically kind of say that based on kind of scripture, this is what we understand who we are and who Jesus is and how we're to live. Okay? And that statement begins this way. It says, the great purpose toward which each human life is drawn. The great purpose to which each human life is drawn is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Okay, now that is probably straight out of something called the Westminster Confession. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And, and at one point, I'm going to ask you a question. What is the chief purpose of your life? What, if, if somebody were to say, what's your life all about? What would you say? What's your identity? What's your purpose? Where do you put all your energy? Where's your, where do your thoughts go? Okay. And this is saying that our chief purpose is to glorify God. Each member of the church glorifies God by recognizing and naming his glory. One of the statements that I heard over and over again as I was studying about praise these last couple of days was this whole aspect that, in a sense, when we gather, we need to recognize the presence of God, that he is in our midst. I think a lot of times... We gather and, you know, we hope he's there, but we don't really recognize that he is present. 
Scripture says whenever two or three are gathered in his name, that he is there in our midst. God is present. The almighty creator, all-knowing, everlasting, all-powerful God is present. And we need to recognize his presence. I mean, next time you're in a conversation with somebody and you're about ready to take them out, remember, God is present. How would that change the conversation? God is present. And we need to recognize we need to recognize that God is present and we need to recognize the God who is present. Not only that he is in our midst, but who he is. Those two things, one that he's here, but two, who he is. Who he truly is. Not who I want to make him to be, but who he truly is. Each member of the church glorifies God by recognizing and naming his glory, which is the manifestation, the revelation of his own nature. Each member of the church enjoys God by being so united with Christ through the power of of the Holy Spirit as to become a participant in that divine nature transformed from one degree of glory to another and escorted by Christ into the loving community of the Trinity. Now that is just, there is a ton of stuff in that. Just ask Leanne. She'll explain all of that to you. We are in the midst of reading this book called Experiencing the Trinity, which is all about how, in a sense, on one level, God doesn't need us. Well, on one level, that God exists eternally, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, kind of in community, in love for one another, in fellowship with one another, in enjoyment of one another, and that they invite us into that community. Okay? You know, that we're invited into the community of God, not because God needs us, but just because he wants us to be a part and enjoy him and him enjoy us. One of the analogies I used on Monday night and talking about that just a little bit was um, if you need your kids, we need to talk. I have some counselors who would be very happy to help you because if you need your kids, you're probably going to mess them up. Okay? But... If you enjoy your kids and you want your kid and, and, and enjoy fellowship with them and, and want to bring them into the fellowship of, of the love that you and, and your husband have, see, enabling them to become all that God created them to be, see, now you've got a different dynamic. See, you know, um, God doesn't need us. But kind of like with our kids, there's that richness and that enjoyment of all of us being in relationship with one another. See, and, and the, in a sense, the more the merrier. Although I like having two, it's just nice just to deal with my brother. Let's go to the next page. So we confess our faith not as a matter of dispassionate intellectual assent, 
but rather as an act by which we give God glory and announce our membership in the body of Christ. We trust that when God's glory is so lifted up and when his nature is thus made manifest in the life of the body, the church will be a light that draws people from every tribe and tongue and nation to be reconciled to God. All too often, as I approach my relationship with Jesus, I want to know more. I want to get more. I want to understand more. Okay? Um, That dispassionate intellectual assent. I want to do more. See? And God's going, just get off it, Betsy. It's okay. Rather than knowing and understanding what I want more than anything is for you to know me and to lift me up and be in the middle of enjoying me forever. A few minutes ago, I was talking to um, the the leaders group, and I used the illustration of um, David on this one a little bit. David wrote all of these psalms that we've been been studying this week. Um, Somebody once told me a a long time ago, or you know, a psalm a day, you know, kind of keeps the doctor away. Okay. Um, You know, we can laugh about that. But what a psalm does is, is, in a sense, redirect our focus from ourselves to who God is. See? And somebody in leadership said, you know, when did David have the time to write all these psalms? Okay? First off, he probably didn't write all of them. Okay? There's 150 in there, and there's ways that they go with the readings and the Pentateuchs and everything like that. But um, David probably didn't write all of them. And yes, some of them are meant to be sung, and some of them were put to, to music. But I think at a deeper level, what you really see in the psalms are David's prayers. Okay? Um, in fact, I, I do not do well at this. Okay? There have been times when I've done this and you go through different seasons in your life, but one of the best ways, you know, in, in a sense to, to train yourself to better glorify God is to begin to write out your prayers to God. And in a sense, that's what David does is he's writing out his prayers to God. Um, I, I love David. He is a, a huge challenge. Okay? David's this guy who, you know, when his when Samuel comes to town and looks at his father Jesse and says, "Hey, I want to have dinner with all of your sons. Invite them all together and let's have dinner." Jesse invites all of his sons and leaves out David. He kind of doesn't count. He's the run of the litter. He's out keeping the sheep. Okay. What's it like to be left out? And Samuel looks around and goes, there's something wrong here. This is all your sons? And Jesse kind of, well, there's one more. There's, there's the you know, baby, but he's kind of out with the sheep right now. I mean, you know, and, and, and Samuel says, we're not eating until he gets here. And David comes in and Samuel pulls him aside and, and he anoints David the king of Israel. So David, you are now the king of Israel. Here's the problem. There already was a king in Israel. His name was Saul. But Samuel says, David, you are the king of Israel. And you know what David's response is? 
He goes back to tending sheep. Okay? Now, if somebody came in and told you, hey, this is what you're going to be, this is what you're going to do, this is who you are, okay? I'd start doing stuff to prepare and get in, you know, and, and take matters into my own hand. And he goes back out and tends sheep. Eventually, he finds himself in Saul's court singing to Saul. Okay. He doesn't sit back and say, hey, by the way, Saul, you know, I'm, I'm here in order to learn what to do. I'm, he's just in the background singing. Things happen. He finds himself leading Saul's army and becoming the most popular person in all of the kingdom. And David doesn't make a big deal about that. He just does what he's called to do. But Saul becomes so jealous that he tries to kill David. Now David doesn't stand up to him at that point and say, hey, I'm the general, I have the army behind me. Step down. Instead, he basically says, you know what, I think it's time for me to leave. And he leaves. And Saul comes after him, seeking to kill him. Now remember, David's king. God said, I don't want anything more to do with Saul. David, you're my man. And David's leaving. Now I'd be going, excuse me, David, did you hear Saul? Or did you hear Samuel? Did you, did you get the promise, David? Did you get your calling, David? David's leaving. And Saul's trying to kill him. And at one point in the midst of Saul trying to kill David, you know, there's that story where, you know, David's hiding in a cave and Saul comes in to relieve himself, you know, kind of go to the bathroom in a cave, you know, kind of ultimate, you know, um, vulnerability. And all of David's men go... God's given you Saul. God's given you Saul. Kill him now. And David doesn't do it. He says, no. I'm going to wait for the Lord. The Lord's in control. The Lord is the one who's all powerful. You know, the Lord... The Lord has this. In fact, Psalm 57, which was written when David had fled from Saul into the cave, reads this way. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to the Most High, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I'm in the midst of lions. I'm forced to dwell upon among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp words. And that's the situation he's in. God, this is disastrous. And then we read this. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. See, rather than than keeping his eyes on his situation, 
He begins to think. And he lifts up his eyes and he glorifies God. And he goes on. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they've fallen into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the people. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. See, David wasn't about himself. David was only about God. See? And yet, even though he's going to become king eventually and blow it, Over and over again, what we read is that David is a man after God's own heart because all he wants to do is enjoy that fellowship of the Trinity and lift God up and give him glory. And in that process, we see this king who through the ups and downs of life, through his own sin, through the sin of others, is able to live well. And it's the man to whom God makes all of the promise to and fulfills them all. And so I ask, what's the most important thing in your life? Is it to glorify God? Do you trust God to be God? Or are you asking God to be who you want him to be? And to make you who you think you want to be. Let's go on to the next slide for a minute. Um, Do you wake up every morning amazed that you're loved by God? Do we allow our day to be shaped by God's desire to relate to us? I don't know about you, but my life today is shaped by what's on my to-do list. Okay, in fact, it's so out of control, and I know when my life is so out of control that really what happens is I have to sit down and make a to-do list. Okay. And God's going, Betsy, even in the midst of the hecticness, you need to let go. I'm in control. One of the other things I, I mentioned and I, I, to the leaders this morning is, is in, a, in a sense, I need to look at life like a four-year-old. Okay? Um, I don't know about you, but um, I like being an adult. I like being in control. I like knowing what's going on. Okay? And making decisions accordingly. Four-year-olds don't get it, okay? Four-year-olds don't know much beyond their own homes or whatever place they're in. They might know their city, okay? But that's it. They don't understand that there's this world out there. They don't understand that one needs to go to work every day in order to bring in, you know, food to eat, okay? They don't understand 
really even relationship issues other than it's mine. Okay? I mean, four-year-olds don't have perspective. And in a sense, we need to recognize that we are four-year-olds before God. What God is doing in this universe what God is wanting to do through our lives, okay? The power of God, the provision of God, okay, is so vastly different than what a four-year-old understands, and yet that is who we are, our four-year-olds. And we will only understand how to live if we trust our Father, And enjoy our father the way your four-year-old does. Our lives are to be about glorifying God. Our lives gain perspective when they begin with praise. Everything changes. Prayer changes things when it begins with praise. Um, in, the, in the spring, we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer a little bit more. In fact, we're going to, Tim's going to do a whole series on the Lord's Prayer over Lent. But the Lord's Prayer begins, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, praised be your name, glorified be your name. Luther says, you know, it, it just starts with repentance. I'm not God, you're God. It starts with the proper perspective of a father who loves me, who provides for me, who's present with me, but who's in heaven, who's in total control, who's the almighty, the omnipotent, the creator one. And keeping those two together as I dwell throughout the day, first and foremost, on him, allows me to live life keeping it in perspective, fulfilling my purposes, having the type of peace and joy and rest that God desires for me. Um, Christian discipleship is not a question of our own doing. It's a matter of making room for God so that he can live in us. See, I get this mixed up all the time. I think Christian discipleship is about my doing, not my being with God. And praise reminds me of that so that everything comes out of praise. See, It doesn't mean I don't do But first and foremost, I'm called to be in relationship. See? In the school of adoration, the soul learns why the approach to every other goal has left, had left it restless. Every other goal in life will leave us restless because there will always be the fear that we're going to lose it. And there'll be that sense of needing to clutch on. Okay? But when our goal in life is the adoration of God, instead of restlessness, there's peace and assurance and joy and life. Let's go to the next one. Let's go to the next one. We'll come back to that one. Um, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy. Because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. Um, there, this, this whole 
paragraph here, right here, comes out of C.S. Lewis, who basically says, um, this is Tim Keller's quoting it, who basically says, you know, isn't this aspect of having a God who wants us to praise him kind of egotistical on God's part? Okay, I mean, have you ever thought ever crossed your mind? This is the way I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not at a compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. See, it's not that God is egotistical. It's that the full enjoyment of something doesn't take place until it's expressed. See? So in giving praise to God, what happens is that I actually gain an enjoyment of God. Okay? And a oneness with God. Okay? Lewis argues that the more perfectly we can praise an object, the greater our enjoyment. And the worthier the object, the more intense the delight would be. We cannot merely believe in our minds. Oh God, I was afraid that was mine. That he is loving or wise or great. We must praise him for those things. And praise him to others. If we are to move beyond abstract knowledge to heart, Changing engagement. Here goes. I can believe up here, but if I don't start saying it, if I don't start expressing it, it stays here. And it doesn't affect my emotions. It doesn't affect who I am. Okay? Learning to praise changes us. It develops love for God. What we love is basically who we are. There's a challenge for you. What we love informs who we are. You love your kids, you're a mom. You love your husband, you're a wife. It's part of who you are. But do I ultimately love God first as a child of God? See, what we love informs who we are and raises the anxiety levels in our life when what we love is threatened to be taken from us. Which is why praising God and enjoying God provides the ultimate rest. Okay? Because he will never be taken from us because of who he is. Let's go to the next one. Adoration, a spontaneous yearning of the heart to worship, honor, magnify, and bless God. We ask for nothing but to cherish him. We seek nothing but his, his exaltation. We focus on nothing but his goodness. In the prayer of adoration, we love God for himself, for his being, for his radiant joy. Adoration is selfless devotion. And so here's, here's the question at one level. Why are you a follower of Jesus? Okay. One of the struggles that... that um, we read this book over, over the summer called Eternities Now in Session. And, and one of the things that, that constantly comes back to at one level is I think all too often, most of us are followers of Jesus in order to get from Jesus. Most of us are followers of Jesus. So when I die, I know I'm going to go to a better place. So I'm going to go to, I'm going to raise my hand. I'm going to ask Jesus into my life. I'm going to pray about what I need so he gives me what I need so I can have a good life and go to heaven when I die. And at one level, we have it all backwards because it's all about me at that point. 
See? And God's going, if you really want to have the life that I meant for you to have, make it all about me. Okay? Because I'm the only one really who is worthy of praise. Okay? I'm going to love you like a four-year-old. I had a protection. I had to care for you. You're part of the family. You're that child in the family that brings completeness and more joy in the family can, I can possibly imagine. At one level, one of the things we were talking about this Monday night is that God doesn't need us, okay? You know, he doesn't, but he enjoys us. And I'm called into the circle of that enjoyment. But I want to make it all about me. And God goes, when I do that, I mess up and I miss out. How much of our discipleship is in trouble because we've made it all about me? And what praise does is correct that thought so that we make life about God and live in the glory of that and the enjoyment of that. Um, Luke 24, um, the Gospel of, of Luke ends it's the very last verse in the gospel of luke jesus has been taken up to heaven and it says this and they stayed continually in the temple praising god okay that was a response is that my response done my devotion checklist onto my to-do list see is god's going no i already got your to-do list taken care of Let's try the next slide. So we got, um, oh, Thanksgiving is a subcategory of praise. Thanksgiving is praising God for what he's done. Um, Praise is adoring God for who he is in himself. Okay. Romans 1, 18, 21. For although they knew God, it's supposed to be God. For although they knew God, it's my typing. Uh Uh-huh. It was early this morning. Um, They might glorify him as God. Uh, nor they did not glorify him as God nor give thanks to him okay so although they knew God they didn't glorify God as God and if you read Romans 1 what it really says is they suppress the knowledge of God okay and instead exchange the glory of God for the images of his creation The essence of sin, according to Paul in Romans 1, is not glorifying God as God, but suppressing God and instead worshiping his creation. And so Romans 1 says that what God did is he just gave them over to their desires and sin grew. When we forget that God is the one who's the creator of creation rather than us. When we worship the created thing rather than the creator, we start living an illusion that in some way we ourselves are self-sufficient. Our greatest, you know, I think a lot of us struggle to be in charge of our lives, to be self-sufficient, to have it together, to be in control, Right? And God's going, that is the greatest illusion there is out there. 
There is only one who is in control. There is only one who is all wise and all knowing and ever present and all powerful. See? There's only one whose plans are being worked out and will come to fulfillment. And we are invited into him and to take our eyes off of ourselves and off of creation and put them on him. Next slide. Is there another slide, I think? I don't know. No other slides. Okay. Um, Tim Keller says that there are basically three kinds of prayers. There's the upward prayer, praise and thanksgiving that focuses on God himself. We could call that the prayer of awe. Do you live in awe of God? Okay. Um, Part of music enables us to be lifted into the awe of God. The Psalms lift us up to the awe of God. What I love about David's Psalms is that they are so real and so honest. I hate that person. Get rid of that person. I, God, you know, I'm mad. This isn't fair. But God, I'll praise you. I'll wait on you. You're in control. You're all loving. The absolute raw emotions of the Psalms and yet that continually speak of the awe of God is where prayer begins. And then there's the inward prayer, the self-examination and confession that brings us into a deeper sense of sin and in return a higher experience of grace and the assurance of love. And then there's the outward prayer, the prayer that requires perseverance and struggle. And we'll get into the other two a little bit later on. Prayer moves from grounding, from a grounding in God's nature, what we ask, to petition to what we want, to aspiration to what we'll do when we get it. It's remarkable how this pattern um, combines praise and petition, sound theology, and deep aspirations of heart. Let's go on to the next one. Most of my struggles in the Christian life circle around the same two things, why God doesn't act the way we want God to and why I don't act the way God wants me to. Prayer is the precise point to where those two come together. Praise is that point where those two come together. Um, Down at the bottom, prayers are corrective. It allows me to be who I am. I am not God. He's God. The other aspect, (coughs) excuse me, of what praise does is by focusing on God and focusing on his attributes. I move past those attributes into understanding the holiness of God, the holy otherness of God, okay? Which allows me to have that confidence and peace in who he is. In Revelations, for when everybody's standing before God's throne, they're not yelling mercy, 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 or grace, 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 or love, love, love. They're singing holy, holy, holy. The bigger picture we have of God, okay, the more joy we have, the more peace we have, the more comfort we have. See? But I don't know about you, 
I too often in my prayers skip praise and go on to supplication and needs. Okay. And God's going, if you do that, you're going to miss out. Let's go on to the next one. Uh, go on to the next one. Um, a lot of times, is that my last one, Carolyn? Is this the last one? There's one more after this? Uh-oh. Okay. Um, so it, one of the times it, it talks about a lot, this was kind of interesting as I was going through a bunch of things, um, people going up to the mountain to pray. Um, mountains are kind of a place of security. You know, you, you kind of have a fortress up on top of a mountain. Okay. Um, they're also part of clarity because you can kind of see out over everything. Okay. Um, mountains are also um, kind of a place of majesty. Okay, when you get up high on a mountain, you begin to see how majestic things are. So in a sense, that whole aspect of going up to the mountain to pray is kind of that sense of finding that security and that clarity and that majesty up in the mountain. The obstacles to prayer, though, often are our own inattention. We're caught up in the busyness of life. Okay? Or the other one is um, we have the wrong kind of attention. Okay? And, and in a sense, what, what Richard Foster says here when he, when he talks about this in his um, book on prayer, is he says that a lot of times what happens is when we like, see a sunset, instead of just enjoying the sunset, we begin to analyze the sunset. Okay? You know, we begin to notice, you know, all the little... And, and he talks about being in a... Um, at a prayer gathering one time, and there was, um, and they all thought, okay, let's just sit and listen to God. And everybody was supposed to be quiet and listen to God. And there was this cat scratching at the door. And the pastor said, well, let's listen to God. Let's listen to God. And afterwards, the pastor remarked, I just couldn't listen. I just kept hearing the, the scratching. That's what everybody else said except for one missionary. That one missionary said, well, I was trying to figure out what God wanted to tell me through the scratching. Okay. Sometimes we become so analytical, so distracted, that we don't hear what God is trying to say in the midst of things. Um, oftentimes, one of the obstacles of prayer is, is greed. We want more. I'm not content with what God has. I just keep asking for more and more and more. Okay? Or conceit. How much of my praying really comes out of my pride or my smugness or my knowing that I have it all together and I'm right, which I am all the time. Um, we need to, to learn to watch and observe, to tarry. We need to be grateful. We need to have a grateful center. Um, seeing God in the midst of our lives and going out from that. If God has placed me here, more so than God get me out of here, 
It's God, how do you want, what do you want, how can I glorify you in the midst of this? What do you want in the midst of this? And to live in thanksgiving, live in gratitude. Um, Use the Psalms, music, celebrate, dance. What's the next one? Ah, okay. Pray of humility, honesty, sympathy. Let's go back to that Psalm 95 one, way back at the beginning. Um, We're not going to do this. I was thinking about doing this. I was going to read Psalm 95 to you. Um, A couple things about this psalm real fast. Um, Actually, I will read it to you real fast. I was going to do it in a different way, but I'll read this. Psalm 95 says this. Oh. Ouch. Um, Come, let us worship for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come and before come before him with thanksgiving. You notice that all those are us. Come let us worship. Come let us shout. Let us come. One of the dynamics that that we have lost in our 20th century Christianity is this aspect of community. We do everything individualistic. You know, I almost challenge you, you know, in your times together today to maybe take out a psalm and together pray it line by line in your groups. Okay? As you read a line, praying it back to God, the same line just with, with our language. And see how God works in the midst of that. There is a communal nature to prayer which becomes powerful. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountains, mountain peak before him. The sea is his and he made it. Okay? And his hands were formed by dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Okay? For he's our God. In a sense, we're called to worship with our will, with our emotions, and then we're called to worship with our will. Okay? And then it says... Come, let us worship Badam. Let us kneel before the Lord and Maker, for He's our God, and we are the people of His pasture. But today, if you hear, if you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Okay. As you did in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me and tried me, though they had seen what I did, for forty years I was angry with that generation. There are peoples whose hearts have gone astray. And they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath they will not enter my rest. In a sense, there's a call to worship God for our emotions, for our will, and with our mind. To think through. In fact, that's what you have in, in the Philippians passage that you started with. Paul says, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. There's that emotional aspect. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, there is that will, that taking action. Okay. And then whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is admirable, whatever is lovely, Let your mind dwell on these things and the peace of God will enter into your life. There's that aspect of the the mind. When we put those three together, 
recognizing who God is, focusing on who God is, glorifying God for who God is, making that a matter of our will, then there is an aspect of the joy and love and peace that God desires us to live out the rest of our lives in. I would ask you this in closing. What is something that you're facing that is taking all your attention? What is the struggle that you have? What is at the top of your prayer list right now? If you were to take that issue and bring it before the sovereignty of God, the all-knowing wisdom of God, the fact that God is present already in that situation, the love of God, the grace and mercy of God. How would it change how you're viewing that situation? That is what praise does. It is the gift of God we are called to glorify God and enjoy him first and foremost. Let me pray. Lord, come. May we go through this day in awe of you. May we be aware of your presence, of your love and your greatness and your power your provision of your holiness. May we enjoy you and encourage others into the circle of enjoyment. For we ask this in your name and to your praise and glory. Amen. Have a good morning.